So Matthew chapter 6, we are diving back into uh, the Sermon on the Mount. This is the constitution of the kingdom. As we've been looking at it, the uh, manifesto of King Jesus. And we left off uh, a couple weeks back in Matthew chapter 6, looking at the call uh, to secret service. And we saw that illustrated uh, in in the place of uh, prayer and fasting and in our giving, Jesus talked about uh, following him in secret and, and not letting our right hand know what the left hand is doing. And now as we come back to this and, and look at the Sermon on the Mount and where Jesus is about to go next, I want us to do that with this idea of secret service on our minds, with that just being our perspective that we're going to jump into. Because one of the dangers is, is that... Um, As we follow Jesus and we live the life of secret service for him, uh, one of the dangers is this, is that we can slowly make the slide as Christian believers into this life of worldliness, where worldliness just creeps into our faith. Uh, I think you probably know exactly what I'm talking about because we we all wrestle with this battle where, you know, you live a life of faith, you confess Jesus, You confess the lordship of Jesus. Maybe you can avoid all the big sins. You can avoid all the open open sin, the obvious stuff. And if you stay clear of that stuff, there's almost this sense that you could just take your foot off the gas and, and begin to slide into a harmless life of just what seems harmless, just a pursuit of the things of this world. You're avoiding all the big sins. You've made a confession of Jesus, so everything's okay. And you just slide into this life of worldliness and it becomes really easy in Christian faith uh, over the years to slip into this dual life where we almost divide life into the spiritual and the material. But as we look at the constitution of the kingdom, as we look at the teaching of Jesus, this is where Jesus is giving us uh, his teaching that are really to be our core values, to be the things that define us as, as disciples, as followers of Jesus. And Jesus never divided life into a dual system of the spiritual and the material. He saw life as uh, all together. He never made that division. And so Jesus here is going to begin to talk about worldliness or love of the world. Now, when, we, when I say that, when I say worldliness or love of the world, I'm not speaking of uh, the physical universe, the world, or speaking of the people of this world as a whole. What it means when we talk about worldliness or love of the world is to have an outlook, to have a mentality in life, a way of looking at things, a way of looking at life where we're concerned about material things, where we're concerned about ordinary things and they take place They take priority in our lives over spiritual things. Uh, They take priority in our lives over the kingdom of God. Love of this world or worldliness is kind of like um, a rock under the surface of the ocean. You know the kind of rock that's unseen and can do damage and, and sink a ship? Like a rock under the surface of the ocean. You might not see worldliness in my life and I might not see it in your life, but if we're not careful to recognize that which is in our own lives, that which is in ourselves, it can shipwreck us. And that's why as we're going to see, Jesus is going to say this as he teaches this message, 
Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. And so this warning of the danger of worldliness that Jesus is going to talk about is real. I think about Paul and a friendship he had with a man named Demas. And when Paul talked about his friend Demas, he said this, Demas has abandoned me because of love of the world. What happened was this, that Demas shipwrecked his own faith because he didn't watch out for this danger in his life. And so as we come to this section in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to take us to this place and he's going to talk about this potentially dangerous, deadly obstacle. And as the Holy Spirit seeks to bring awareness for you and I of how this obstacle takes shape and form in our lives, Jesus is going to give us uh, two ways in which worldliness takes shape. Two ways in which we can identify worldliness in our life. And this will help us see it. It'll help us watch out for it. Okay, does that sound all right? Here's the thing though. You know, is what, this has been happening to me all the way through the Sermon on the Mount. I can't get through this text this morning. So this is a two-parter. And um, we're going to look uh, primarily at the first one that Jesus is going to talk about. The first warning sign in our lives. And then next week we'll look at the second warning sign. Of, of worldliness and how it manifests itself in our lives, okay? And so the attack from the world comes and it comes in two main forms. Like I said, this morning we'll talk primarily about the first one. And the first one is this, uh, love of the world. Now love of this world exposes itself in three ways. And we're going to take a closer look at each one of these. Love of the world is seen in what we treasure it's seen in the clarity of our vision, and it's seen in what we serve. Treasure, vision, and service. So let's, let's look at the idea of treasure first. This is the choice between two treasures that Jesus talks about. He says this in verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, destroys, where neither thieves, where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this is the choice between two treasures Jesus talks about. There are two treasures. Treasure on earth and treasure in heaven. Let's talk first about treasure on earth. Treasure on earth uh, is a treasure that Jesus... Uh, paints in a negative light. He's talking about this in a negative light, light. And he says this, do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break on and steal. Now treasure is a term that stretches beyond just the idea of money. He's not just talking about money. It, this is a bigger picture than that. It includes money, but it's not just money. You know, in the, in the scriptures, we never see that Jesus is actually against money. Nowhere does Jesus, you know, magnify uh, poverty or criticize the legitimate getting of wealth. What Jesus is talking about here is not about having money or possessions, but about our attitude towards our money and possessions. And the question for me when I think about this is always this is, do we have money and possessions? Or does money and possessions have us? And this is the attitude that we can, 
We could pack in life where we begin to get tight-fisted with our money and tight-fisted with our possessions. And what Jesus would have is not that we would be tight-fisted with those things, but that we would hold them with a loose grip. That we would hold them with a loose hand, these things of the world. You know, I think about finances and money and possession. You know, it's not wrong to save. It's not wrong to have insurance policies. It's not unbiblical to own a home. It's not unbiblical to prepare for the future. All of those things are godly. They're, they're honorable. But we hold those things, we are, we are to hold those things lightly. There, there's no promise in those things. There's no guarantee in those things. You know, when I expend myself and, and treasure those things, I am treasuring things that have no guarantees. You know, I, I have a, a good buddy who received a very large inheritance. And then uh, the whole uh, computer stocks crash happened. And he lost it all. He had it for like three months. And life was set. He sold his small business and everything. And phew, wiped. Gone. There's no guarantees in those things. And when we think about, you know, insurance policies and money and possessions and, and homes, you know, what happens if it all goes? Just consider the reality of that. There's no, there's no guarantees in those things. And, and if it all went, would it change anything about the reality of eternity? And the answer is no. It wouldn't unless I was clinging to those things. Unless I was tight-fisted with those things. Then if they went, then it might be like hitting that rock that's under the surface in my life and I could shipwreck myself. Treasure on earth. But then Jesus talks about treasure in heaven and he says, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. You know, it's been said that, that giving is not God's way of, of raising cash. Giving is God's way of raising kids. It's a great, it's a great idea, thought. See, each time when we give, each time when we are giving away, we are giving up away a part of our own selfishness, a part of our own stinginess, a, a, a part of that life that is in each one of us that wants to cling to the things of this world. The reality is this, is that God does not need my money, but I need to give. What Jesus wants is my heart, not my money, but he knows that where my, where my treasure is, there my heart will be also. And so it's interesting that Jesus does not say where your heart is, there your treasure will be. He says where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And so if I put my treasure in heaven, my heart will follow. You know, I used to hear that saying in church circles, you know, people would say this, uh, you know, just a saying. Or sometimes they'd say it in regards to a person. They'd say, oh, that, that guy, he's so heavenly minded. He's no earthly good. But have you heard that saying? But the desire of Jesus is that we would be heavenly minded. The first saying actually is false. Because the truth is when we're heavenly minded, we are earthly good. I mean, Jesus taught us to pray and we saw this two weeks ago. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, the will of God is that heaven would touch earth. And so we want to be heavenly minded or we want to be heavenly hearted. And so how can I be more heavenly hearted? By sending treasure ahead. 
I have to have the right view of life and the right view of eternity. And when it comes to this life, when it comes to this world, we should never lose sight that we're just passing through. We're just passing through, friends. We're pilgrims, tent dwellers. Our home is in eternity. And therefore, you and I are stewards of that which God has given us. We are custodians of that which has been entrusted to us. I I don't live for the things that God has put in my possession. I don't make them the center of my thoughts. They are not to absorb our lives. We hold them loosely. Things don't possess us. We possess them. They don't govern us. We govern them. And we don't live for earthly treasure, but rather we're, we're to hold it all loosely And we view ourselves as stewards who will give an account to God who has given us everything that we have. We view ourselves as those who are are masters of the goods that we have. And so, you know, when we think about our goods, when we think about the things God has blessed us with, our, our question and our heart should be this, is how can I use what I have for the glory of God? For his kingdom. And so when we talk about worldliness in the heart of a believer, one of the ways that worldliness exposes itself in our lives is this, and what we treasure. What do you treasure? Lay up treasure in heaven. Then Jesus begins to talk about vision. And he says, love of this world, worldliness, will also manifest itself in your vision. And the clarity of your vision. And so Jesus talks about the choice between two visions. Let's check it out. Verse 22. He says this. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? only two types of vision here that he talks about. Good vision, bad vision. He says the eye is the lamp of the, of the body. If your eye is clear, then your whole body will be full of light. And if your eye is bad, then your whole body will be full of darkness. You know, we talk about the eye. We, we actually don't see with our eyes, right? We don't see with our eyes. We see with our brains. Our eyes are the lenses through which we see. And the eye transfers images to the, to the brain, to the optical lobe. And then in conjunction with the, with the rest of our brain, we define the image that our, of the light that our eye is letting in. And our mind makes a determination. Our mind makes a choice. It says, this is a good image. This is a bad image. And we accept what our eye lets in or we reject it. And that choice, if we reject it, can bring fear into our lives. And if we accept it, it can bring peace into our lives. You see, we choose. We decide what definition we will give to that which we we see. And meaning is not always inherent in what I see. Often we find meaning in how we see. We call that perspective. See, there's a difference with about in regards to what I see and how I see perspective. And when I mix my vision with faith, I make that choice and I mix faith with vision, I can see things as good for me, no matter what it is. I can look at it and go, 
God's at work. There's something that God is doing. Though this is a bad picture, I mix faith with this and now it becomes a good picture and I say, God's at work, I trust him. There's something he's doing in the midst of this. You know, an example would be sickness. I think of our good buddy Murray, man. Murray's on his way to to Italy today. Him and uh, Beth, they're doing a cruise for like three weeks. The doctor said, you need to go. You need to go. You should not wait. Go now. And so they packed up to take this trip together, this once-in-a-lifetime trip. And and I think of Murray's comment where he said, man, you know, ALS, I'm thankful that I got this. Like, what? That's crazy. How can you say that? It's because he's mixed his vision with faith. You know, for most, for the world, they they would say sickness equals death. But when I mix in faith into my vision, I see the I see the goodness of God in the midst of that which seems bad. And so we have a choice in our vision, all the time a choice in our vision to receive what we see or to reject it. And it can make us fearful or it can give us peace. I remember the first time I uh, used a chainsaw. What I saw put fear in me. I, I saw the ability to cut my leg off. I saw the ability for all sorts of things to go wrong. I saw the potential to get hurt. I, I saw something that was new to me and it was foreign to my understanding. And I thought, oh great, what do I do? But as time went on, I came to see that chainsaw as an incredible tool to get things done. My confidence grew with it. My fear subsided. Then I actually began to enjoy using this tool. I, I fell in love with the roar of the two-stroke and the smell of the exhaust and fresh cut wood. And though, yeah, amen. Oh, the guys get that. What changed? The chainsaw? No, what changed was my vision. What changed was my vision. And so when Jesus talks about the eye, he is talking about perspective. He's talking about how we perceive things in life. And when I perceive them as bad, it affects my emotions. It affects my ability to sleep. It it affects me physically. It distorts my vision of who I see God as. You know, isn't there a saying, the problem is not the problem. The problem is your attitude about the problem. I like that saying. See, good vision, good vision that brings light into your body is vision that trusts Jesus Christ. It's vision that combines faith with what it sees. And when vision is combined with faith, well, you you know who I think of? I think of Paul, actually, in the scriptures, in the book of Acts. You know, Paul was on a ship, being battered by a storm, pounded by the waves, stuck in the surf. Everyone on board that ship, every single individual, I can't remember the number, I think it was well over 200, might have been pushing three something. 247, thank you very much. Nice. And any trivia questions you have? That's your man, <laughs> Mr. Green. 247, every 246 people on that ship said, we are going to die. Their vision, they looked around, they said, we are dead, man. We are dead. And Paul said, no, we are not going to die. I think, well, how could Paul say that? See, everything physically was stacked against him. How could he say that? 
Well, he could say that because he knew about the calling of God that was on his life. He knew that God had said to him, you're gonna go to Rome and you're gonna preach the gospel there. He knew what God had spoken about his life. He knew the call of God and his confidence in the word of God affected the way that he saw the problem that was in front of him. And it gave him a different perspective compared to those around him. That's why when he made it to shore, because he made it to shore and everyone else, 247, made it to the shore, not one died. He got to work and they built a fire. And Paul, seeking to help get everybody warm, grabbed a bush, he threw it on the fire. What happened? Do you remember the story? As that stuff hit the fire, a viper came out of that little bush and it fastened itself to his hand and it hung there. I just, I can't wait for the instant replay in heaven. Get to see this picture. And what did Paul do? Did he scream like a baby? No, he shook it off. He shook the viper off into the fire and what enabled him to shake it off? Again, it was his vision. He had good eyes. He was letting light into his body. He understood God's word and the call of God on his life. Awesome message from Pastor Ken Sutton last week. I hope you enjoyed that. If you, if you didn't get a chance to hear it, you can go on the church website. All, all the messages, we actually lost Saturday night's message, but all the messages from last weekend's uh, conference are up. And K- Pastor Ken talked about Abraham and Isaac. I so enjoyed what he had, had to say. And he nailed it as he shared with us how Abraham had simply arrived to this place of faith where he had so come to trust the promise of God that he so believed in the Lord that he believed Isaac, the son of promise, he so believed that Isaac was the son of promise that he was 100% confident that God would provide for himself a lamb. That he he was confident that should Isaac die, God would raise him from the dead. So as they traveled and as they journeyed, Isaac spoke up. Hey, Dad. Hey, Dad, the fire's here. We've got the wood. But where's the sacrifice? Abraham had good vision. Son, God will provide himself the sacrifice. See, it's a choice. Good vision is a choice. Good vision is vision that trusts in God no matter what the eye sees. No matter what the eye sees, it takes the perspective of faith and it interprets what it sees through the lens of faith. Now this means this, you know, based on what I've said about vision, if vision is bad, in other words, if what you see is beating you up, if, if what you see is causing depression, if what you see is a source of anxiety, if what you see is robbing you of peace, if what you see is robbing you of sleep, then then it's revealing something that's tucked in your heart. A worldliness. A love of this world. You are treasuring something on earth. It's affecting your perspective. You know, let me ask you this. How would treasure in heaven change the perspective of what you're seeing? How would it change the perspective of your vision? I mean, think about the issue that's bothering you right now in life that's just robbing you of peace. 
If you put your mind on things of heaven, if you centered your heart on heaven rather than the things of earth, what would that do to your perspective in regards to that issue? How would it change? See, good vision, bad vision, they're a choice. You know, I, as I was thinking about this, I just think of those words of the scripture, you know, enter his gates with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and forever. His faithfulness to all generations. That's who God is. And I need to know that to change my vision. And if, if vision is bad, then, then right here, th- this is the lens for vision correction. The word of God. It changes your perspective. It, it corrects vision. So Jesus talks about these things that expose the heart of worldliness that we can have in us. What we treasure, the quality of our vision, and then he talks about service. He tells us about the choice between two masters. Look at verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money or mammon. If you've got one of those different translations to the Bible or an older translation, it, it may say uh, the word mammon. So Jesus says there's a choice between two masters, God or mammon. I personally like the term mam- mammon better in there than the term money. Mammon is a, is a broader term. Uh, than money. It includes money, but it also uh, incorporates possessions. Some say that mammon, you, you could actually define mammon as a god, a small g god, a lowercase god. And Jesus says this, now a servant can only have one voice. Ultimately, a servant can only have one voice in his life. He can ultimately only take orders from one person. That's because no one can serve two masters. Either he's going to hate the one or love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and he'll despise the other. One voice is going to take priority over the other. And so Jesus says, the masters are God or they're mammon. And you can't have two. He's saying this, that, that both Jesus and mammon make a totalitarian demand on our lives. You cannot serve them both. They want you totally. You know, there's a, a story of a farmer who one day came in from the field and with great joy and happiness, he came into his house and he reported to his wife, our, our cow, our, our favorite cow, our most prized possession gave birth to twins today. Two calves. One is red and one is white. And and you know, he said to his wife, I, I have this sudden feeling and, and impulse that we should, because we've got two of them, we should dedicate one of these calves to the Lord. Uh, we'll bring them up together and when the time comes, we'll, we'll sell one and we'll keep the proceeds and we'll, then we'll take the other one and we'll sell that one and we'll give the proceeds to the Lord's work. And so his wife asked this question, so then which calf are you going to give to the Lord? And he said this, he said, there's, there's no need to bother with that right now. I mean, we'll treat them both the same and when the time comes, we'll do as I say and off he went. 
And so a, a few months went by, and one day he came in from the field. He entered the kitchen. He, he looked miserable. He looked unhappy. And his wife said, what's troubling you? Something's bothering you. And he said, I have bad news for you. And she said, what is it? He said, the Lord's calf died. The Lord's, the Lord's calf died. And he said, she said, oh, but you had not decided which calf was the Lord's. And he said, oh, yes, I, I had always decided that it would be the white one, and the white one died. And, and you know, it's a, it's a silly story. We could kind of laugh at it. In a sense, we're probably laughing at ourselves because it's always the Lord's calf that tends to die if there's a choice. You know, when things get tight and, and, and I have to choose between my money and my possessions and my mammon or the things of God and the work of the Lord, the first thing that could be adjusted on the budget is the work of the Lord. Maybe it's not fair to say that it's the first thing. I mean, you can save a lot of money but it's not going to Starbucks or something like that. But you know what I mean. That's why when Jesus was watching people, you remember when he was at the temple and he was watching people as they brought their offerings? He watched the Pharisee. He didn't praise the Pharisee. But the widow who took the might that she had and she put everything that she had in the offering. She gave everything that she had to God. She wasn't living for two masters. It wasn't mammon that she was serving. She, she was living for God. You cannot serve God and mammon, Jesus says. And when it's the Lord's calf that dies, just think about it in your own life, okay? Whatever, whatever, whatever that picture looks like for your life. When it's the Lord's calf that dies, 100%, it is a sign for you to take note of that the love of the world has crept into your life. That your vision is off. That that you're treasuring things that are going to perish. And Jesus, as he gives this teaching to the crowd, and as he gives it to you and I this morning, he, he is making a totalitarian demand of you and I. The, the mere fact that we say that we believe in him, the mere fact that we call him Lord, is not proof that we're serving him. You know, economics is a risky religion and you, you have to make a choice, Jesus says. God or mammon. And so as Jesus shares these things that reveal in us a love for the world, I mean, who's kidding who? The value system of this world is clutching to me. I don't know about you. It's like the Boston Bruins in 2011 against the Vancouver Canucks. I still haven't got over it. And... Uh, you know, clutching and grabbing and clinging with all its grip, this world, to you and I. It, and its, its grasp on us is seen in what we treasure. It, its grasp on us is seen in the clarity of our vision. It, its clinging is seen in, in what we serve and what has mastered us. You know, I think about this text. I mean, it's a convicting text to me. And I, I, I you know, I, I don't want to rub any of our faces in the mud or be a Debbie Downer, okay, or anything like that. No, to me, what this text tells me and what it shows me, what Jesus is, this teaching that he gives is that, that, that sin has an incredible grip on my heart. Even though Jesus has set us free from the punishment of sin and death, it's, 
It's still clinging to my life and to your life so tightly. Makes us blind. Sin makes us a slave to things that that were meant to serve us. Sin ruins us. Blinds us to the fact that you know you could gain the whole world and lose your soul. As Jesus said. See, a text like this just exposes that every one of us has the love of the world in us. And the Lord in his grace today is just pointing us to the plank that we can have in our eye. It's interesting because chapter 7, he's going go, to talk about judging others. He's pointing us to the plank that we can have in our own eye. And it's, it's through Jesus that we are saved and it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can be delivered from the love of this world. I want to be delivered from the love of this world, don't you? Don't you want to serve Jesus wholeheartedly? I was so blessed by the things that Pastor Ken taught last week when he, when he just reminded us that, that when we sense our failure and our desire to love God, is we, we've got the paradigm upside down. What we need to know is God's love for us. To sit at his feet as, as Mary did. Be delivered from the love of this world and to follow Jesus into deeper waters of commitment. I want to tell you this morning, as you think about your own life and the wrestles that you have and all of these points that we see, you need to know that Jesus loves you. That his grace is for you this morning. That he wants to expose the darkness in your life and he wants to set you free from it. He wants to make you like Paul. Where 247 say, 246 say, we're going to die. And you'll say, no, we won't. Because I know God. 276. Don't ask him any trivia questions. <laughs> you, can come, you can come to somebody else. We'll find somebody else. <laughs> Thanks, Carl. 275 can say, we're going to die. And Jesus wants to make you like Paul. Say, no. I have a vision that trusts in the God whom I serve and whom I have saved me. He wants to make us like Abraham, convinced of his promises towards us. The deadly obstacle that is under the surface of the water for all of us is this, this worldliness. And, and the ways that, the first way that worldliness takes shape in our lives is this, in that love of the world, and, and, and we see it in, in what we treasure and what we vision and what we serve. But this, there's a second way that worldliness takes shape in our lives, and we're going to just look at it quickly this morning. It's a teaser for next Sunday. And, and again, Jesus is going to point it out to, to help us see it and to help us watch out for it, and we're going to take a closer look at it next week, but we're going to identify it right now. The second way that worldliness manifests itself in our lives is through the problem of anxiety. You know, anxiety and worry has, can get a, an incredible grip on your life, can't it? I think we all know that. But I want to tell you this. Jesus wants to set you free from anxiety. Amen? He, he, and what he's going to say here, and what we'll take a look at closer next week, he's going to lay out in a, in a very logical manner because all of us, everyone has some form of anxiety, some worse than others. But, but I'm trusting God 
as we move ahead into next week and as we're praying towards next week that, that God will in a unique way set a lot of us free from the, from the heart of anxiety. Let's look at the words of Jesus here. We'll read through to the end of the chapter. He says this, the problem of anxiety. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. It's not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. This is a very logical teaching that Jesus is giving us here. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to to the span of his life? I was reading uh, this morning, I, I flipped it. And so I've got one of my grandpa's old Bibles. It's an old King James Bible. And so every once in a while, I like to pull it out. It's got lots of things that he's left in there. And I pulled out the King James Bible. And uh, he says, which of you in the King James can add a cubit to his height, essentially? So if you're short, I'm sorry, you're stuck. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't add to the length of your lifespan, and you cannot add to your height. Verse 27, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his, to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he... M- not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. Your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. My friend, Jesus Christ, he wants to set you and I free from just that worldliness that can creep into our lives. you, You can have it there if you're a new believer. It can creep into your life if you've been serving Jesus for a long time. And it's seen in these ways in our lives that we've looked at this morning and what we treasure in, in the health of our vision. It's seen in the master that we serve. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for the gospel. The gospel that says, he whom the son has set free is free indeed. That, that God created you and I uh, for relationship, to, to walk with our Father in heaven to live a life of dependency upon him. But as we see in the scriptures that that man rebelled against God, he sinned against God, he rebelled against the heart of God towards him and severed the relationship, broke that relationship between God and man. So the Father in heaven sent his son, Jesus, to restore things, to put it back in order, to give his life on the cross for the sin of mankind. 
he, he died, he was buried, he rose from the dead. And Jesus has the power to heal that which separates us from God through the work of the cross. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, he comes, the sin's forgiven. We're, we're set free from sin and the punishment of sin and death. But then in the midst of that, we have to, we have to learn to begin to live with the values of the kingdom, them shaping and forming our lives. And this is part of it. Jesus rooting out the heart of worldliness that's in each of us. May he do that for us. He loves you. He wants to set you free from those things. Let's pray this morning.